Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you. Before I get to business with the scripture, uh, have a topical this morning. We will return to Acts at some point in history. At, uh, we go tactical at 1,400 hours today. We begin our amphibious assault on the Berkwood Pool. They don't know it's coming, so the advantage is to us. I think we're up to 10, maybe 11 people getting baptized today. Amen. I expect that at the end of the sermon also. Uh, hopefully, the believers who have been baptized, you come out and cheer them on. It is, you know, the communion and the baptism, no nonsense for us Christians. And uh, I think every Christian needs to be in formation for, ba- for communion and line up for baptism. So anyway, I know some of you can't for, for other reasons. Cancel your appointments. Just... Uh, we have ordered extra water. Just some, anyway, let me get, get, to, get to work here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Paul's letter to the Romans. We return to this letter. We will stand and take verses 14 through 16. The text is verse 16. And so, if you have your Bibles open or not, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And if you're joining us online, you are invited to stand for the reading also. Beginning at verse 14, Romans chapter 1. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God. To salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Please be seated. I I think the barbarians he refers to in verse 14 are other drivers. Just so we have our theology right. Now the text is supposed to be pointing in the direction of the message. And hopefully the message comes from the Lord. When the Lord wrote to the churches uh, in Revelation, he said, to the messenger, to the pastor, to the one delivering the message. And Romans 1, verse 16, look again with it, at me, at it with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. Bravery and baptism, that is the title of this morning's message. And I'll start with a question answer, not that you're going to answer. I'll ask the question, I'll answer the question, and then we'll get to the text. So a little departure from the typical way a topical sermon would be would begin. What is baptism? Water baptism is what we're talking about. The Christian knows of two baptisms. We know of the baptism in water, we know of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The water baptism is, is immersion in water, ideally. There are exceptions. Uh, in other words, when a person is baptized in Christ, we like to put them all the way into the water. 
The exceptions would be maybe someone is ill. Maybe there, there could, you know, things like that could, could call for another approach to symbolically proclaim the same thing. Baptism is a defiant statement among other things. Of course, it speaks of our love for Christ. But it is a defiant statement against the evil trio, the world. Baptism says we reject your opinions about God, about Christ, unless they come from God in Christ, which would then not make the world the world. The, def- the reason why the world is known in Scripture as the world is because they are at odds with the revelation of God through his word. The baptism is a defiant statement against Satan. We recognize that he is the arch enemy. He is our arch enemy. And then the baptism is a proclamation against our own flesh. We know that our flesh, our fallen nature, will always side against Jesus. And this this trio makes up the war that we fight as Christians, as believers. And the baptism is that statement. I have now sided with Christ against these things. They will continue to side against me. I will continue to fight them. But my allegiance is to Jesus now. And Jesus himself did not baptize with water because he immerses in the Holy Spirit. John chapter 4, we read, Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, they baptized. Mark chapter 1, John, the baptizer, speaking, says, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's a second experience that a believer can have after their conversion. A lot of churches or, or Christians don't see it that way, and that's their, their right to see it that way, but um, uh, that's not how I understand the Scripture. So what does this all mean, this baptism, making this statement? Well, there are essentially two movements to it and one conclusion. There are two parts leading us to this one structure. There is the immersion, the complete dip into the water, and then there is the immersion, where you emerge from the water. Immersion, the actual act of being put into the water, symbolizes death. Death to my flesh, my old nature, death to this world. And, of course, I am buried out of sight. I am done. That old man is gone. It has everything to do with the cross and the resurrection. Emergence is the symbol of the resurrection. When I come out of the water, it is an emblem of I believe in the resurrection, and there will come a day when I will receive my resurrected body in Christ. And so we are buried, then we are set free. This is what the baptism preaches. It is a sermon. Paul said about the communion table, when you take this bread and this cup, you proclaim, you preach the Lord's death, which always includes his resurrection and return. And so these two, the emergent, Uh, The immersion into the water and the emergence out of the water have this conclusion. Newness of life. Declaring our union with Christ in his death and resurrection. You say, okay, well, where do you base all of, what do you base this on? 
Romans chapter 6, verse 3. As many of us as are baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. You, you catch Paul says, as many of us. He too was baptized. Continues, he does in Romans 6, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And there you have the immersion into the water, the emergence from the water, and the conclusion is newness of life in Christ. Now the question then comes is, is water baptism necessary for salvation? Absolutely not. It only announces that I have been saved. And this, of course, you can have imposters. That's why we ask you to meet with the pastors. We want to preserve the integrity of the baptism. And I'll come to some of that in a moment. Romans 3, verses 23 through 28, you can read up on that. I don't want to take uh, away from other uh, time on other points, but there you can follow the justification. Water baptism cannot save. It's just one place. There's several uh, teachings on this and illustrations to go with it. Uh, the thief on the cross is, is a basic one. Jesus said, you know, too bad you didn't get saved before you got crucified with me because I could have baptized you and you, you would have been saved. And as you can see the absurdity of that. Hopefully you can. Water baptism is secondary to salvation. So much so, Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, that mob that gave him a hard time, not the whole church, but many in there. He said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. What a profound statement to say to a congregation of, of professed Christians, but it needed to be said. Uh, so coming uh, back to this, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And not the water, but the blood of Jesus is what washes away my sins. Well then, who gets baptized? Well, of course, the disciples. Jesus said, go into, uh, the, you know, he commanded the disciples, go into the world. He commanded the apostles, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And a disciple, you know, that word from the Greek, matheos, was where we get our English word mathematics. And that, that means that there's some more involved with just, than just believing. There's learning, there's discipline, there's relearning. Some of you, uh, you have your, you keep your devotions up. Well, you know what? Let me give you a, a little help for some to enhance your Christian performance. Memorize scripture. Uh, you, you know, you can write it on an old business cards, a scripture verse or, or something. Just learn to memorize scripture. And you watch the improvement of not only your walk, I'm speaking from experience here, so I, I would hope that it would also apply to others. Um, if you start learning Scripture, memorizing it, doors open for you to share the gospel. Because you're now equipped. You're armed with the sword. You have something to say, and God will bring the audience to you, those who need to hear it. Well, Romans 10, speaking about who gets baptized, the believer. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, 
That statement, Romans 10 and 9, 9 and 10, is based on the foundation of everything he's been saying since chapter 1. Uh, it's about Jesus Christ, understanding that he is Lord and what that means. If someone says Jesus is Lord, and you say, what do you mean by that? Is, do you, are you under his lordship? Are you ruled by his desire, his will? He gave us an example. Nevertheless, Father, not my will be done, but yours. There's uh, more goes into the lordship of Christ than just saying, I believe. There's a doctrine that is necessary. In the book of in Acts, when the church at Antioch was born, and that became the magnificent church in that reason, region of the world, it, it eclipsed Jerusalem. Uh, and those, those Jewish Christians went up to Antioch, and they began converting uh, other Jews and Gentiles. Then Barnabas goes up, and he begins to exhort them. And Barnabas says, you know, we need some firepower here. He goes to Tarshish, he finds Paul, he brings him back, and Paul, with others, began to teach them. So you have this process that's still in effect. The preaching of the word, the exhortation, and the teaching of the word. And the emphasis became the teaching of the word. Uh, you know, the church can be preached to death. You can just, every Sunday, a pastor can go up and just tell you how you get saved. Every, well, that's not feeding the saved. If we feed the saved, they'll go out and they'll start preaching and start winning souls or contributing to the process of one man plants another waters and God causing the increase. If we follow the biblical example, business gets done and you will be attacked. But you are, you are ready for that attack. You're fit for it. Oh, it's going to be miserable. I can tell you that. I look, Christians get burned at the stake. We get burned in the, at the stake in our history. Jesus said, my faithful servant Antipas, who, who was martyred, my faithful witness that was martyred. He didn't deliver Antipas from being martyred. He just brought him home. Well, uh, the baptism as to who gets baptized, the believer, the disciple of Christ. I don't know if we hear that enough, that I am a disciple of Christ. I've gone beyond just believing and confession I've gone into development, maturity. Well, that's personal. That's the one that gets baptized. The one who has a personal relationship with Christ. So here's Philip, the evangelist, uh, looking to be used by God, available. And God says, I want you to intercept the Ethiopian. I'm getting to the points. I'm not trying to quote the specifics just yet. And Philip goes and he sees the chariot with the Ethiopian on it. And he pulls up next to him on foot. And he knows that he's reading from Isaiah. And he's reading the section in Isaiah, we know it's 53, Isaiah 53, about the Messiah. And Philip says, you know, what? You, do you even know what you're reading? <laughs> he doesn't say it in that tone, but that's what it, where, where it was going. And the Ethiopian was honest enough to say, how could I know without a teacher? A lot of Christians like to learn. They just don't like to be taught. And that's outside the plan of God. He himself has have given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. That's one. It's not pastors and teachers, though that's true. But the pastor is to be a teacher. And uh, he climbs up in the chariot and he begins to expound on the scriptures, open up what that means to him. This is the result the, when, the, when the Ethiopian says, here is water. 
what stops me from being baptized? You see, I, I mean, it was just, who initiated that? The Holy Spirit in the heart of the Ethiopian, based on the teaching of Philip. Philip said, if you believe with your heart. Go back to Romans. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart. Church was on the same page with this doctrine, and we still are. Uh, Philip continued, if you believe with your heart, you may. In other words, if you don't believe, you may not. He continued, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There should have been thunder right there. Because behind that statement, it wasn't just, well, I believe he's God's Son. There's, there's, a, whole, there's a network of authoritative teaching built into that. And familiar with Judaism, he would have meant just that, that I understand what I am saying. Christ is the Messiah. Very powerful. So that's who gets baptized. Those who say, write my name down, believer of Jesus Christ, disciple, in spite of my failures and shortcomings, which he'll take care of. Then, who does not get baptized? Well, if you don't like somebody. No, who? We have standards, and they're not whimsical. They're not man-made. Well, those under human influence might not want to get baptized. What do I mean by that? Well, if you have two friends and say, you know what, I'm going to get baptized. Me too. You're going to get, I'll go with you. What pastor do we want to baptize? See, that's wrong. That the integrity is shot at that point. You're getting baptized because your buddy's getting baptized. One reason why we sort of discourage the youth from getting baptized is because we know that, well, if you're going to go, I'll go. And we're not, we're not stopping them. I'll come to some of that, too. But we, we don't push it. We want them to know what they believe and why. And we want it to be personal between them and God. We want the, the, the youth or the, the elder alike to say, I believe what stops me from being baptized. That's what we're looking for. Well, God has not entrusted his leadings to pushy people. And there are pushy people that try to get you to get baptized. My parents are notorious for this. You need to get baptized. You know, they try to, try to you know, I'll give you $5 or something. I don't know. I don't know what they do. But I know that sometimes they bring them to us and they should not have brought They should have filtered that out. They should have qualified it. Why do you want to get baptized? Instead of making us the bad guy, when we got to say, you're not ready yet. Oh, but, but if you insist, we will, because you're not going to be blaming us 20 years from now. I went to that church and they didn't baptize me. No, you're not going to be able to tell that story. So anyway, I mean, we have to defend, defend the church. It is the, the bride of Christ. Well, parents versus integrity can be an issue. You're not helping the faith of your child. You're hindering it in the flesh if you are the influencer. Now, I'm not talking, you do influence your child with the gospel. You preach, you teach them what it's about. I'm not saying don't teach. But you're not the one to say, you need to go get baptized today. <laughs> if you want to eat here again, you need to get baptized. As much as you want to see your child, tell God. Tell God, Lord, Lord, you know what I'm looking for. And God will say, me too. And what is the rush anyway? Parents that want you, you, you know, christening, as some denominations do a christening. At best, Christi, Christian, christening says, we hope this child gets saved. That's the best it can do. 
A little infant there can't make a decision. And you have to believe. The Bible is very clear on this. Make that confession. Well, what is the rush? How old was Jesus when he got baptized? He was almost 30. When he, so, I mean, I'm not saying we should wait, uh, you know, to a certain age, but I am saying, clearly the Bible says, don't rush this. You, your salvation is one thing. Baptism is secondary to salvation. And so, uh, if they are saved, they will seek God. They will want to be baptized. So, my advice to you parents who want your child to get baptized so much, I understand that. I sympathize with that. Trust God, uh, not your ability to influence. Anyway, why be baptized? Who gets baptized? What is baptism? Who should not get baptized? I'm sure there's, you know, other answers to other questions that this may create. Well, why get baptized? Reason number one, it's a commandment. Let's close in prayer. I mean, that's it. You're a believer, you get baptized. Just know like, well, you know, I got away from Mars to line up with Jupiter. Again, Matthew 28 Go, therefore, and make disciples. You know, something, you know, if you've been serving in Christianity a while, you know what stands out for me in that? Make them. Make, make it's just like, it's work. It's hard work. It's hard work leading someone to Christ, and if God allows you to also be part of their development. There are boogeymen out there. There are false doctrines. You know, when you lead someone to Christ and they say, oh, you know, someone gave me this book. I thought it was so wonderful. And you look, you don't even look at it. You just turn right to who publishes it. And oftentimes that will tell you, well, look at that. Watchtower. Trash. So, uh, and new believers don't know that. Because these, the cults, they are very slick in their presentation of the cult. They withhold certain information from you and spring it on you later. Anyway, as a rule, they do. Why be baptized? Well, you're announcing your passion. The New Testament church did not understand baptism without passion. It wasn't like, oh, okay, it's a commandment, I'll do it. That was not how they approached it. When the Apostle Paul was telling how he came to Christ, he, 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 he did not leave his baptism out. God sent Ananias to Paul. Paul was blind, blinded by the light of Christ. And Ananias shows up and he says, God is going to send you to people and you're going to suffer for it. And uh, for, in doing it, not suffer for it as though you, you're being punished, but it's going, to, it's going to cost. And then Ananias says this to Paul. And Paul's telling the story. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. He got to it. There was an urgency about it, but it wasn't a push. He asked him the question, you're a believer now. What's the holdup? Now, I'm sure there's other parts of that exchange that are not recorded, uh, but the essentials are here. That water baptism shares outwardly what Jesus Christ has done and is doing and will do inwardly. It's serious business for us. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the faithful martyr, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. 
you can't say that about somebody unless they're God, or I should put it this way, they're divine. And they're you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that's it. God the Son, he continues, to, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You see, that's what takes the sin away. The blood of Jesus Christ, nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. But it, John includes, he loved us. He loves us in the present tense and the future and washed us. First John, we all should know this one. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It would not, when Paul said it is the power of salvation, it would not be if it could not take out all sin, the penalty of all sin. Now, you may be dead to sin, but sin's not dead to you because of that old nature. And, and you, you're going to just have to slug it out. So be ready for that. Uh, you know, thin-skinned Christians don't help anything for Christ. All they do is fuss and whine. Uh, I would not want to be... Imagine if I were a Christian for 20 years and someone said, Have you been baptized? And, and the answer was no. A dereliction of duty right there. You, so you can, there's, a, there's one commandment all Christians can get right. And that's the baptism. The others may be more of a challenge. And so now we come to Romans chapter 1. Our text, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Well, just to get the last part of that verse out of the way, you know, essentially for us today, in the context of what he is saying, who are these people, the Jew and the Greek? The Jew represents those with the Bible. The Greek represents the, the nations at that time, those without the Bible. And nothing has changed. Our gospel message is preached to those who have Bibles and don't get it, and those who don't have Bibles and need to get it. Whether they know of the scripture or not, if the door opens to preach, the power of salvation is made available to them. Unless you're ashamed. Unless you don't want to tell it like it is. Satan's not ashamed. He even flies these multicolored flags around, boasting of his immorality. Boasting against God of the universe. As though they're going to get away with it. Well, they will. Maybe. For one lifetime. That's it. Then, you know what? Satan says, I can't go with you anymore. As far as I could take you is death. Well, coming back to this verse here at Romans 1. And remember, Paul said, I, I want to come to you that I might impart some spiritual blessing. Paul wanted to be a part of their Christianity. He knew he could, he could move them further along. There was always space for growth in Christ. And I love that part uh, about the, the, the Roman letter when he says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Not every Christian can say that. It can be a little obnoxious from some people. Like, wait a minute. I know more Christianity than you know. What are you talking about? It could be pride. But coming from the Apostle Paul, no, that's quite powerful. You'd want him to attend your church to impart some spiritual blessing. And so this verse, Romans 1.16, stands out for its tone that is found in the baptism. 
Because the baptism says this thing. I am not ashamed. If I were ashamed, I wouldn't be here. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's enthusiasm is found in three statements that he makes in that section of scripture we just read, stood and read a moment ago. In verse 14, he says, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. That's pretty much everyone. I am in debt. I owe them. I owe them the gospel. If the door opens by God, I will preach it. Paul did not cast pearl before swine because he knew. He knew he would be trampled on. He didn't just walk up to people randomly as he made his way down the streets of the ancient world and in Turkey, for example, just stopping random people and preaching the gospel. Uh, He was led by the Spirit. He continues also in verse 15, he says, So as much as as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And this is a statement, he's talking to Christians, but he's, he's going beyond the Christians. I'm ready to preach to the unsaved in Rome. And he did. There were Roman soldiers that he was chained to that were getting the gospel. Even if he wasn't talking to the soldier and talking to others, which he was permitted to do, they heard the gospel. And uh, he says, I am ready to preach. Every Christian should be ready to preach. How do you get there? Again, how do you get there? Well, you attend a good, a solid church. You rub elbows with solid Christians. Iron does sharpen iron. And it's not always pleasant. There's some friction involved from, from time to time. Someone may say something and it hurts your feelings, but it's true. And if you've got that thin skin or that proverbial glass draw, you're going to drop and cause problems. But if you are in the spirit and they are in the spirit, that's not going to be a regular event. Good Christians rub off on each other. I thank God for the many Christians that have been a part of my life, and I don't want to think about a Christian life without them. He says, so as much as is in me, I am ready. Well, your devotional time. Devotional time means you take, you take it. You take time in your day for Christ. You cannot say, well, I'm just that busy. No, you're not. No one is that busy. You've got to take it. I don't mean to sound crass, but you do have to use the restroom. Take the Bible with you. God is not offended. Memorize scripture. You will be ready. And don't memorize all the ones that beat, beat people up. You know, for instance, here's a good verse. The goodness of God led me to repentance. And Paul's not saying, you know, the clobbering of God led me to. No, it's the goodness of God. And, you know, sometimes we're just too ready to take the, the, the moat out of the other person's eye while we're clunking them in the head with that plank sticking out. Is that not comical when Jesus said that? You got this beam hanging out of your eye. Everywhere you turn, you're clunking someone. Sort of uh, Abbott and Costello-ish, uh, or Three Stooges doing plumbing work. Anyway, we, all right. If you've seen that episode one time, You'll always remember it. Anyway, he says here in verse 15, so as much as in me, I am ready. So here we go again. Verse 14, I am a debtor. Verse 15, I am ready to preach the gospel to you. Very personal. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We don't separate these things. They're joined together in God's word. Nothing, nothing nullifies them in their proper application, in the context of 
what the Spirit means with these things. Now, of course, when he says, I'm not ashamed, shame points to guilt, to blame. And the world wants to blame you for this confession of faith, for this resistance against the trio of evil. Many, many who blame you should be shamed, ashamed themselves, as I mentioned impudently, flying their colors. Well, they've chosen their side. They're wearing their uniform. Zephaniah chapter 3. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails. But the unjust know no shame. And so even in his day, Zephaniah, he knew, and Zephaniah was likely a prophet that had ties to the, the king's court, uh, or royalty, I should say. Uh, he knew that there were the wicked, and they were not ashamed. They would do their evil, bold face, impudent. Uh, Proverbs talks about the, the harlot and her impudence and the attire of the harlot. Uh, you know, that is not a, a, a judgment against just uh, someone engaged in prostitution. It is someone that is engaged in shameless sin, no matter what it is. And we, if we're going to be charged with being guilty of something, then it's guilty of preaching Christ. And there's no shame for us. Uh, we're innocent of blame in the faith of God. Second. Corinthians chapter 10. For if we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. As we covered last session, that in my flesh, there's no good thing. The Bible doesn't walk back from that. He continues, for the weapons of our warfare are not physical. They're not carnal. Uh, you can do something spiritually in a carnal way. Uh, I'm trying to push somebody to get baptized. You shove them into the water or something. He continues, they're not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Well, I'm going to fight any impure thoughts I may come up with. That's what it means to, to uh, bringing every thought into captivity. I'm going to fight them. And of course, when I go to heaven, I won't have to anymore. They'll be gone. This, uh, this is the battle uh, of the Christian, to cast down arguments. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Again, that puts us on defense. I mean, offense, pardon me. Not defense. Defense doesn't know where it's going to be. The Christian is, we, you know, we have armor for, for, for the defensive purposes. But hopefully, we are the aggressors in the exchange. Hopefully, we are attacking the lies against Christ. And so he says, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. So when Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail, he is saying, go on offense. But you can't do that if you're not ready, if you don't keep your devotions, if you're not in fellowship. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and communion and the breaking of bread and prayer. Uh, which is the communion, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Uh, there are things that belong to being fit to preach. Uh, what, good is a, what good is a fighter jet if it's out of fuel? Uh, it's just a, it's a target is what it is. Well, anyway, uh, in times of war, which we are in spiritually, the power of God. It is not something that God 
has. It is who he is. Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. God is powerful. Uh, that, you know, he wouldn't be God if he were anything less. The only justification for the gospel is the power behind it. If, if it had no power to save, which it does, uh, not in word only, but in power, Paul said to the Corinthians, uh, it is because of him. It took power for him to restrain himself, from our perspective, to stay on that cross. When he says, I could call 12 legions down, this is nothing. In fact, I don't even need them. <laughs> I don't need a can of spinach to put you all in place. Because of who he is. We uphold Christian beliefs and doctrines. We have to. But can we do it with some feelings? Can we have some passion doing this? Can we be passionate about, uh, you know, maybe life has been hard on you? Well, that doesn't mean that you have the right to surrender your passion. You just have to dig harder for it from time to time. Uh, one of these things illustrated Paul and Silas. There they are in the jail in stocks, wounds on their back. I mean, I get a paper cut. I'm irritated. And uh, here they were. They were caned. And they're singing songs and psalms. They probably were up at midnight because they couldn't sleep because of the pain. They couldn't find a position. To, I mean, everything was wrong and miserable. Uh, but yet, they pushed through. And the result was an earthquake. It shook the place. and brought the house down, almost, on, them, on themselves. Anyway, that boldness that comes with... You can't be bold for the gospel if you, if you have shame. If you're ashamed of the gospel, if you don't want, oh, I don't want them to think, you know, I want them to perceive that I'm cool, you better have them perceive that you're holy, that you're righteous, that they want to be a, either a track. Look, may help them make their decision. You're going to like me because uh, I'm pursuing righteousness, or you're going to not like me because I'm not sharing uh, your unrighteousness. Make your choice. That's on you. But as for me and my house, you know, that's why we like that verse, because it is defiant. It is more than defiant. It's inviting. Now, it's not enough to just have boldness and no shame. The church at Pergamos was bold. Christ points it out. He says, in the days of my faithful witness, Antipas, you stood your ground. And then he went on to say, but not only do you have some bad doctrine in that church, you allow it. You've got the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, and I hate that. And then he says to them, repent or else. That's exactly what he says. So just thinking, see, I'm bold for the gospel. That's not enough. Are you led by the Spirit? Is your doctrine solid? Do you have love? Or are you the person in the church everybody wants to avoid? A lot of work goes into this. Making disciples. I want to be part of that. And the only way I know how to be part of that is to do my job as a Christian as best I can. And what I can't do, I have to defer to Christ. Because he is powerful. And that's why he is Lord. And he loves me. I preach that Christ loves you, and I believe that he loves me. And it is a danger of being so busy trying to help others that you forget, you know, what about you? Well, Ephesians, you left your first love. And again, Jesus says, fix it. 
or else I won't consider you a church. And, the, and don't look now, but there's a person next to you. No, <laughs> don't look now. But in the back of the sanctuary, facing the pulpit, is a seven-stem lampstand. Jesus moves between the lampstands. And that reminds me. He can take that away. Or he can stay up on the wall. It's just that he won't be a part of it anymore. I think having all these people wanting to be baptized is the Lord saying, I am with you. I'll not leave you nor forsake you. Don't leave or forsake me. Well, uh, Revelation 2.16, Jesus told them, Repent or else I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What church wants that? Let's hope Jesus shows up with a sword and fights against us. It's interesting that he points out in that verse, I will fight them. That element in that church. Well, I don't want to be dirty by association in this in any way, especially this way. So let's get this perspective of this man who is preaching all these things to us. In the Spirit of God. 2 Timothy 1. I hope I've given you a lot of scripture. I hope every time you come here, you get hit with scripture all over the place. I I hope every sermon rains scripture. Because that is the authority for anything I have to say. Otherwise, it's my opinion. You say, what's your opinion about scripture? Yes, but it's right. (laughs) And it does come to that. You know, people, well, it's a matter of interpretation. Yeah, but there is a wrong interpretation and you know it. How about we just interpret your wallet is mine? <laughs> we, we can come to conclusions. Anyway, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Man, as Paul just doesn't let up. This is years later after writing the Roman letter. And Timothy is a tested servant by this time. He's, he's solid. And Paul still, you know, always doting on Timothy. Timothy was always his little boy. He loved him so much. He wasn't his maternal parent, but he was a spiritual father. And he just looked out for Timothy. And you've got to love that in life. Is that not true today? If you, are, if you are a man or a woman in Christ, and there are those that sort of see you as just, uh, you know, someone who's just discipling them, not officially, you know, here, sign here, and I'll start discipleship class. That, that kills it. It's unofficial. It's unmentioned. But if you have somebody like this in your life, you know they dote on you. And uh, that's a good thing. Anyway, let's consider him. Let's put this in perspective, this shameless Christianity that says baptism is an act of bravery. He was smuggled out of Damascus for preaching Christ, standing up to lies against Messiah. He was stoned in Galatia, flogged in Philippi, chased from Thessalonica, escaped from Berea, laughed at in Athens, caused a riot in Ephesus, intimidated in Corinth, judged unfairly on Malta. That's when the serpent bit him and everyone said, this man's a bad guy. He escaped a shipwreck, and God's going to kill him on the beach now. And, uh, so, you know, he was misjudged. Well, you might say, yeah, well, okay, that's, I, that's just how superstition works. Yeah, have you ever been misjudged? Has anybody said something like that about you? You know, you're an evil person, and that's why that's happening to you. So then, you know, they're not a little thing. Well, it continues. Uh, arrested and 
slapped around in Jerusalem at the temple, put under house arrest in Rome. Not too bad the first few days. Then when those walls start closing in, you want out. Not ashamed of the gospel anywhere he went. All those places. And then he ends up saying that he's indebted, that he owes preaching to anybody who receive it, should receive it. This is not for the, this is for Christians. This is the high standard, the high ideal. You say, well, I can't reach that high ideal. Oh, yeah? Well, how much can you reach? Because that would be good enough. Anything but staying where you are would be good enough with God. God is never satisfied, but he's easily pleased. I believe that. God is just, he would just encourage you all the time. He'll work with what you give him. Okay, well, let's do it this way. Some of you parents are that way. You know you got a kid that's in an awkward stage and you just can't get things right. Well, you work with them. Um, I mean, some of you still have some of their artwork from where they could barely hold a pencil. It's terrible. But, but you, oh, that was so nice. Lying to your kid. <laughs> to show that the baptism is real and more than just a symbol, more than just a commandment, if you went to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and you got baptized in Chop Chop Square, you'd be chop-chopped. They would kill you for defying their religion just by identifying what you were symbolizing what you were saying, that Jesus Christ is the Lord and no one comes to the Father except through him. Not them, not Muhammad, not anybody else. So it is big, a big deal. Just because we have this liberty here does not give us the right to forget what it's like to not have liberty. The baptism is a proclamation. And the one who makes this proclamation is the messenger. And a messenger of a king is a herald. John the Baptist was the messenger for Messiah. He was the herald. He delivers the message. He doesn't stop to argue it. You've been served. And that's what we do. So I'm almost done. Jonah, actually i got a long way to go. But the baptism is not till two. (laughs) This proclamation, Jonah, you know, Jonah is a solid guy. Not always, but he's such a teacher for us, one of my favorite prophets. When he's running from God, which proves he believes in God, or else he wouldn't be running down to Joppa to catch a boat to get as far away from Jerusalem as he could. Probably buying into the idea that God is the God over Jerusalem, but, you know, if I can get away from there, I'll be free. What a doofus. (laughs) Anyway, it finally, it finally gets to the point where he's got to man up and make a confession or hide his confession. And this is, so it, the Bible says, So he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That is a proclamation of faith. Now he's still got some baggage here to unpack. So he publishes this at the end. But in the midst of failing God, in the middle of failing God, Jonah holds to his identity. He doesn't say, oh, I'm not worthy. Oh, we all know you're not worthy. What are you going to do about it? He proclaimed it. He proclaimed that I'm not ashamed to be considered a Jew. I'm not ashamed to say I worship Yahweh and all those other gods are fake. That's what that testimony meant. He knew where he belonged and he knew to whom he belonged in spite of his present failure. While entangled in his flesh... He still knows who he is. There are many backslidden Christians. They still know who they are. 
Years ago, we have, and I'm putting up a high rise in Manhattan. Some guys were helping me. Um, <laughs> we had a prayer meeting, Bible study prayer meeting, every Wednesday in one of the sub cellars of this skyscraper, the Marriott Hotel. It's still there. Uh, anyway, uh, we're in there and we're singing songs. Men, all men, singing songs. What a heavy cadence that is. Where do you, where do you men get to sing songs with other men? And not to take away from you sisters, because uh, it's just when you have the, when the music leader has just the men sing, and then he has just the women sing, oh man, is that not a blessing? Unless everybody doesn't sing. Well, anyway, we're in there singing uh, whatever song we were singing, and outside was working this laborer. You know, that's his trade. And he was a big guy, a tough guy, too. Uh, Ralph was his name. While we're in that shanty praying, he's outside bawling like a baby, he told us, because he was a backslider. And he hears these songs to the Lord, and he's convicted. He knows to whom he belongs in spite of his struggles. And the baptism says, I am a Hebrew indeed. I belong, well, it's a Christian for us. We've certainly, it's been developed. Jonah could not leave this out of the story. When he tells us how much of a knucklehead he was, he, he could not leave this out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There comes a time for the believer when we must declare our faith with passion. Do you think the tone of his voice was, so he said, and I'm a Hebrew, and I feel the Lord God of heaven. No. If there would, it would make no sense. It would kill the whole thing. What about those who sneer at us for not being ashamed? Samuel Rutherford, a great Scottish preacher from the 1600s. I love this quote. He says, if you were not strangers here, the hounds of the world would not bark at you. Man, think about that. You know, here's these mean dogs. They're barking at you because they don't recognize you. You're not one of them. And so when Jesus said, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation and sinful generation, he adds, to him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed. And when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So, uh, more verses to read about not being ashamed. I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I believe, Paul wrote. Uh, speaking of Onesiphorus, I, I love this, that man. He wanted, to, he wanted to reach Paul. Paul's in Rome somewhere in jail. Onesiphorus goes to Rome, and Paul writes, The Lord grant mercy on the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. He says in that section, He sought me out. He looked for me. Peter says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him be, not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify God in this matter. What is God's response? Hebrews 11, Paul says, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Jonah, God was not ashamed. God went after Jonah, hired a fish to fish Jonah out of the sea. So I'm concluding now. Imagine being a Christian and not being baptized. That's one point. New Testament baptism is characterized by excitement. Acts 2.41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. 
Nothing is dull about the baptism. Nothing is dull about the communion table. Nothing is dull about prayer in the spirit. Nothing is dull about the Christian life who is fighting for the Christian life using the weapons of our warfare. The baptism says to the world, something has happened to me and no one in this world has done it. We're part of it, but it's God's work. It is a pledge of allegiance. It says, I am now a manservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, or I'm a maidservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it is uh, this statement from Mark chapter 12. It is based on the Shema, the Jewish Deuteronomy 6.4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Well, Jesus, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, this is it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The greater commandment I give to you that you love your brother. Because based on that, you can't get to that part without this part. A declaration of ambition. It's okay to have an ambition that you're struggling to fulfill. I am forgiven in Christ Jesus, and you can be too. That's what the baptism says. We close with this verse. Unless you want more, show of hands. <laughs> Psalm 91. I will say of Yahweh, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. And that's what the water baptism says, because the water baptism for the Christian is this bravery in baptism. Let's pray. Our Father, before we have the communion... We would like to pray to close out this session of worshiping you with the study of your word. We thank you for the scripture. It's your scripture and you've made it our scripture. And it is just magnificent. We thank you for it. We're very mindful that there are those who are outside of salvation. They have not received your son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. If you're watching online or if you're here in the church and you've not opened your heart to Christ, you have an opportunity right now. Step forward to receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you believe in your heart that he was crucified to take away the judgment of sin, that he rose again from the dead to demonstrate his authority to do it, that he is alive and on the throne and going to return, that at death you will stand face to face with him. And unless you received him in this life, he will, he will not receive you in the next. You have a say-so. You have no say-so in being born into this world, but you have a say-so about being born again in this world. And so if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, here's a prayer for you to make right now. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. I have broken the commandments of God. And the penalty for this sin is on me. But I would like you to take it away from me. The reason why you died on the cross was to take my judgment upon you and offer me to receive the benefit through faith in you. And so right here, right now, I ask you to forgive me. I come to you. There's no one else that can take my sin away. I ask you to be the one who saves my soul from judgment 
after this life and the one who lords over me in this life and after. I give my life to you. And now, Father, if anyone has made that prayer this morning, may they not back away from it in shame, embarrassment, hesitation, or anything else. But may they step forward when the invitation is given to come up and share it with the pastors. In these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.